Good morning, everyone. Let me add my welcome to Mickey's. It's wonderful to be with you again. And how good were those little sermons that we had from the student ministers? It's always very encouraging to see them preaching and to hear how they're going at college. As Mickey said, we're back in Ephesians this week. And you might remember that this series in Ephesians is called Raised with Christ. And that's because in this letter, Paul is fleshing out the implications of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So far, we've seen that through the resurrection of Jesus, God has raised dead sinners to life. And he's gathering them into a group, into a church, into a gathering. And through this diverse group of people, this eclectic, diverse bunch, this group that we are, as we are gathered here today, this multiracial, multiethnic, multicultural, multi-class group of people, God is displaying His wisdom and His power to this world. As we live out our unity, God is displaying His wisdom and power. Now, that's pretty extraordinary, isn't it? That's what the letter of Ephesians is about, how humanity, as diverse as it is, should interact with each other and with himself. And that's the plan that God has for us. That's what he's doing in this world. Well, today we're going to be considering how we should live as Christians. How do our lives, how do our individual lives contribute towards God's master plan of showing his glory to the world through the church? Let's begin as we normally do and ask for the Lord's help. Would you join me in praying briefly? Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for bringing us to this day and to this moment. And Father, as it has often been prayed in this pulpit, we ask that we may know you more clearly, love you more dearly, and follow you more nearly. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' powerful and precious name. Amen. So how should we live as Christians? How should we live as followers of the risen Lord Jesus? What does the Christian life look like? What should it look like? If you've just become a Christian recently, maybe your life looks very different and you're kind of aware that some things need to change, but you're not quite sure about how you go about changing. You might be wondering if change is even possible. Well, this passage helps shed some light on how we should walk as Christians, how we should live as followers of the risen Lord Jesus. And very clearly, up front, we're going to see that the Christian life is one of imitating God. We may not always get it right, as I'm sure many of you are aware, but our aim in life should be to walk like God. It's His character and it's His attributes that we should be aiming for. That should be the standard for Christian living. We're going to consider this passage under two headings, walk with a renewed mind, verses 17 to 24, walk with a renewed mind and walk like God from verses 25 onwards. So point one, walk with a renewed mind. In verses 17 to 24, Paul is giving the Ephesians, and he's giving us, a strong warning. 
These verses are a warning not to walk as we used to, as people who didn't know God. Instead, we are to walk as those who know God. We are to walk as those who know Him. The word walk came at the hinge of the letter, at chapter 4, verse 1, and it just means to live. Right throughout chapters 1 to 3, Paul has been reminding them and reminding us of the great truths that undergird what God is doing in this world. So chapter 1, he begins by praying that we would have our eyes enlightened, that we would know what God is doing in this world. When he raised Jesus from the dead and seated him above all rule and all power, this was what he was doing. And Paul's prayer right from the beginning is that we would know that. And right throughout chapters 2 and 3, he's fleshing out God's plan to raise dead sinners to life, to gather them together as diverse and, and different as they are, they are now brought together in unity for a dwelling place for him. And Paul concludes at the end of chapter 3 by praying that they would know, that we would know the love of God. And so in chapters 1 to 3, he's reminding us, he's telling us the things that we need to know. By the time we get to the beginning of chapter 4, he's now going to start to flesh out what the Christian life looks like. And you'll see chapter 4, verse 17, chapter 5, verse 2, chapter 5, verse 8, chapter 5, 15, this walk verb keeps coming up. And so from now on, we are looking at how the Christian life should be lived. We saw at the beginning of chapter 4, 1 to 6, 4 verses 1 to 6, that we are to live out the unity that we've been given. And then in 17 to 16, we are to be speaking the truth in love, growing each other up into the head, which is the Lord Jesus. And now verse 17, Paul commands us not to go back to the old way of living. The old way of living was one based on ignorance. It was completely ignorant about God. It was a way of life that had been built around ignorance without the knowledge of God as its foundation. Just cast your eyes down to the first three verses, verses 17 and 18 and 19. We see how the old way of living is described. It's described as futile in its thinking. It's darkened in its understanding. It's described as stubborn and callous in heart, verse 19. And Paul wants us to know that that wasn't innocent ignorance. The ignorance that was in them due to their hardness of heart verse 18, is a refusal. It's a refusal to acknowledge who God is. It was a refusal to thank Him. It was a refusal to obey Him. It's a moral and willful ignorance that led to a destructive lifestyle. This was the how we used to live. This was the lifestyle that used to dominate our our lives. And as we rejected the knowledge of God, We lost all sensitivity and we surrendered our lives to a series of destructive desires and habits. Verse 19, they have given themselves up to sensuality to practice every kind of impurity. As we rejected the knowledge of God, our lives descended into every kind of impurity. And that was what we were filled with, a desire to grow in impurity. 
The point that he's making in these verses is that there's a connection between how we were living and what our minds were filled with. We'd rejected the knowledge of God and our lives showed it. Our lives weren't filled with the knowledge of God. We weren't thinking about who God is and what He's done for us. Our li- and our lives began to show it in destructive and selfish lifestyles. Now, if you're here today and you're not a believer, I want to tell you very, very clearly and very simply and plainly, God loves you. God loves you. He has made you and He is calling you into relationship with Him. The fact that you're here today is no accident. He wants you to know that. He wanted you to come and to sit in this church at this time and hear that. And if you're watching a little later online, He wants you to know that as well. You're invited to come into a relationship with Him. You're invited to know Him, to live out the rest of your days in thankfulness and in obedience to Him. And you're invited to experience a new family in the church. That's the invitation that is on offer for you. And if you're still working out what it means to live as a Christian, then please join us in the next few Monday nights. Ling and I would love to have you as we work through Just for Starters. And we process what the Christian life looks like. For the rest here who are Christians, this lifestyle, this was not how we are meant to live. Indeed, we are to start with the knowledge of God, to remember how we first came to know God. How did you first come to know God? It was through Christ. Verse 20. Let's look down again at verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. The old way of living was based on ignorance. The old way of living rejected the truth about God. The new way of living is based on the truth about God. It's based on Jesus. In fact, verse 21, if I can draw your eyes to verse 21, it's actually even sharper than just knowing things about Jesus. Verse 21 says that when we hear Jesus, we, so when we study his words in the Bible, we are literally being addressed by him. You've heard him and you're being taught by him. In the Old Testament, there's a connection made between hearing the voice of God and listening to his words. As you heard the word of God read and preached, as you discussed it amongst yourself, God was addressing you through his word. And that's the point that's being made here. As the Ephesians listen to the apostles teach about the Lord Jesus, as we study God's Word, as we listen to good preaching, as we talk about it amongst ourselves, we are listening to the voice of Jesus. God is addressing us as we engage with His Word. Genuine Christianity isn't just about knowing a whole bunch of facts about Jesus. No, it's a life lived in response to being addressed by Jesus. Walking in the new way doesn't mean just knowing a whole bunch of things. It's actually having a mind that is consciously being addressed and knows that in and through the Scriptures, the Lord Jesus, your Saviour, your precious King, is addressing you and calling you and enabling you 
to live out the life he has called you to. And so with Jesus' gracious, his powerful, his loving words coming to us through the pages of the Bible, we see how Christian growth and how Christian transformation can take place. And we see that in three steps. We will see that in verses 22, 23, and 24. The first step is to put off. This is the first thing we do. We put off the old self. Then step two, verse 23, we are renewed in our minds. And step four, we put on the new self, verse 24. Now, in our next point, we're just going to flesh out these steps, but let's just think about each of these steps in detail. We'll get to the practical section in point two, but let's just think about these steps in detail. Step one, putting off the old self. This is something that we do. We put off the old self. We put off the old nature, the old way of thinking. We put off the old lifestyle. Those destructive habits, they go. That self-centered way of thinking, it goes. We put it off. Why? Verse 22. It's been corrupted by deceitful desires. The old way of living goes. It goes. It's rotten. It's corrupted. It's no good. Like when you're hunting around in the fridge for a snack and you find something that's been there for a little too long, it goes. In the bin, it goes. Like the old jacket that needs to get thrown out, it goes. We put off the old self. Step two, we are renewed in our minds. This is something that God does. It's something that He does as He as we listen to His Word. He transforms us. It's a supernatural work. As we listen to good teaching, as we participate in Bible study, as we read and engage with His Word, He transforms our minds. He reshapes our desires and our affections. And it's a supernatural work that He does on our minds. He reorientates the way we think so that we're in line with His goals and His priorities. But it's also something that we participate in. The Holy Spirit didn't set your alarm and get you to church. He didn't uh, en- encourage you to, to come this morning. He, he may have. I hope he, hope he did. But you are the one who got yourself to church. You are the one who does your preparation for Bible study. You are the one who has come, and you will be the one who is participating in morning tea afterwards. And so, as we participate with God, we, we work with Him, we cooperate with Him, so that he, we are exposed to good teaching, good fellowship, but he is transforming our minds through it. So that's step two, be renewed in your minds. And step three, put, off, put on the new self. This is something that we do. We actively try to think after the Lord Jesus. We actively put on new habits, new ways of doing things. As you go about reading your word and reading God's word for yourself, you are actively trying to retrain your mind and put on new habits so that day by day your mind is being renewed. As you put on new habits and as you learn to speak a new vocabulary and as you learn to encourage and speak words of truth, you're putting on the new self. This is the process of change. This is the process of Christian growth that we are involved in, putting off, having our minds renewed, and then putting on. 
Now, when we first came to Christ, maybe the change was a little slow. Maybe it was barely visible at first. But can I encourage you, little by little, step by step, each day, day by day, change will be made. Progress will happen. As you persist with it, God will persist with you and he will help you to live out the Christian life. So point one, remember what you've learnt about God. Remember who is addressing you in the pages of Scripture, the very Son of God himself, the Word incarnate, the living Word, the powerful Word is addressing you. The Son of God is speaking to you and he's calling you and he's addressing you and he's commanding you and he's encouraging you and he's enabling you to put off the old self. And as he transforms your mind, you'll be empowered to put on the new. So point one, walk with a renewed mind. Point one, walk with a renewed mind. Let's look at the next few verses and the second half of chapter four. Point two, walk like God. As Paul moves from verses 24 to 25, he moves from theory to practice. And Paul focuses on three practical areas of church life together. Now, there's a whole bunch of commands, and I think we can neatly group them into three headings of speech, anger, and theft. But for the sake of time, we're just going to concentrate on the first two, speech and anger. And as we look at these two areas of speech and anger, I want us to reflect on the pattern that Paul has reminded us, has has laid out for us in the previous section of putting off, having our minds renewed, and then putting on again. So as we looked at, at these two areas, let's ask, what are the old ways that need to be put off? What are the truths that I need to be reminded of? What are the new ways that I need to put on? Let's consider how we walk like God in these two areas of speech and anger. First, speech. Now, it's important to remember that while these words are given to the church, while they're given to us in our interactions with each other as a local gathering, I don't think Paul's saying that you should have one set of vocabulary and language for the church and one for home and one for work. There should be consistency across every sphere of life. And the specific type of speech that Paul is addressing is false speech. It's corrupting speech. Verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, having put away falsehood, verse 29, he talks about not letting corrupting or unwholesome talk come out of our mouths. Whether it's the casual oversharing of someone's personal circumstances that people didn't need to know about or whether it's deliberate and intentional putting, some, putting down, whether it's malicious slander, or whether it's just the careless talk, whether it's divisive words, or whether it's really harsh language. Our speech matters. Our speech to one another is important. So as we consider our speech, what are the old ways that need to be put off? Well, the old way is one where I use my words to hurt. It's where I've used my language to tear down. Speech that is ungracious and malicious. 
Speech that is careless and thoughtful, it needs to go. Speech that is unwholesome, speech that is divisive and corrupting. Indeed, verse 30, any kind of language that grieves the Holy Spirit, it needs to go. Like rotten food, it doesn't belong. That is the old way of speaking. And now we've been called into a relationship with Christ. We've been raised from the dead with him. And we are to speak good and right things. What are the truths that I need to think about as I address this area of speech and as I make some progress in the Christian life? Well, the the truths that I need to remember are that my words are powerful. Our words are powerful. And they can either be used to build up the church, to build up my brother and sister, or to tear them down. Come back with me to verse 15. Do you remember verse 15? in the previous section, our words are to be used to build one another up into Christ. We are to point each other to the Lord Jesus. We are to remind them, our brothers and sisters, of their relationship to Him. I'm sure each of us have experienced how powerful words can be, and particularly how damaging they can be when they're used in the church. We are members of one another. Verse 25, we need to remember that we are intimately connected. We have been given a supernatural unity and our our language, our speech, is to preserve that. It's to strengthen it. Verse 30, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Our words are given to us by God. Are we using His words, the Holy Spirit's words, to build up? Or are we using our own words to tear down? These are the truths that we need to be reminded of. We are intimately connected. We have a God-given unity. And our words are meant to build up each other. What are the new ways that I need to put on? Well, we need to put on words of love, verse 15. Words that are true, verse 25. We need to speak the truth with our neighbours. We need to speak words that bring grace to the situation, verse 29. Words that are fitting, words that are appropriate. Well, that's the first point that Paul fleshes out for us, our speech, our speech. Walking like God means speaking true and loving. It means speaking constructive and helpful and encouraging words. It doesn't shy away from conflict, but it does it in love. It speaks the truth graciously. Let's consider the second area, the the area of anger. And the commands in verses 26 and 27 are interesting ones. I was wrestling with them and I'm I'm still working it out, but this is where I'm up to so far. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, this seems to indicate that there can be a type of holy and righteous anger. But before we can let ourselves off the hook and justify our own anger, Paul says, verse 31, just jump a few verses down, that we are to get rid of all anger. I think the point that he's making is that even holy and righteous anger, which I think is anger that is grieved and and an emotional response to God's dishonor in this world and not an overreaction to a personal offense, that's our anger, even righteous anger can can spill over 
into other forms of sin, rage and violence and verbal abuse. And for this reason, Paul says anger has got to go. It needs to have a time limit on it. By the end of the day, it needs to be resolved. Before the sun goes down, before our heads hit the bed, there needs to be a plan in place to have it resolved. So what are the old ways that need to be put off? Well, the old way of thinking about anger is that we are justified when we've been offended, that we can just fly off the handle at any and everyone who upsets us. It's the thinking that we won't be held accountable, and that leads to all kinds of clamour and slander, all kinds of malice. These ways, these think, this thinking, this mindset, these actions need to go. What are the truths that we need to be reminded of? Well, it's that my anger does not produce the righteousness of God. Verse 24, we have been recreated in righteousness and holiness. The truth that I need to remember is that when I let my anger fester, I'm actually giving the devil a foothold in that relationship. I'm helping him. I'm working for him in that situation. Verse 30, remember that you have been sealed for the day of redemption. You have been set apart for that great and final day. Don't be working against the Holy Spirit. These are the truths that I need to be reminded of. This is the reality that I now exist in. What are the new ways that I need to put on? Well, instead of anger, I need to put on kindness. I need to get rid of wrath. And I need to put on tender-heartedness. Instead of hatred, I need to respond with forgiveness. That's the second point. Anger. Putting it off being renewed in our minds and putting on. Well, in a few, uh, in a few chapters, Paul will address the huge topic of spiritual warfare. And even in this little section, he's reminding us that even our very um, normal daily interactions can actually give the devil a foothold. And spiritual warfare isn't some crazy thing out there, some supernatural realm that's happening. It's actually being played out in very real and live interactions. And we need to be conscious of what's going on. We need to be conscious of who is in us. The Holy Spirit is living in us. Jesus is addressing us. And we are to live out our Christian lives. Well, let's look at the final two verses. And these verses sum up this entire section. As beloved children, walk like God. Interestingly, in uh, the New Testament, this is the only time that we're told to imitate God directly. But if you go back to verse 24, you'll remember that we've been created, we've been recreated in the likeness and image of God. And so if we've been recreated in His likeness, how can we not but aim to live out His character? We should be imitating Him in everything we do. What does it look like to imitate God? It looks like speaking truthful words, loving words. It's being kind. It's responding to anger and hurt and offense with forgiveness. In one word, it's love. Walking like God is walking in love. 
just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, so we should pour ourselves out for one another. What will keep us from descending into being a church that is torn apart by gossip and slander and controversy? Well, it will be a a determined resolve in the lives of us, the members of this church, to keep speaking the words of God's words, to to keep speaking words of truth, words of love, words of encouragement to each other. What will keep us from being a church that's ruled by factionalism and and grabs for power and anger? Well, it will be each of us making a determined effort to live in kindness with one another, to have soft hearts, to be ready to forgive when there's an offence. What will keep us walking in a manner that's distinct from the world? Well, it will be each of us wanting to imitate God, wanting to lay down our lives and to love each other. This is the plan that God has for us. This is his agenda. This is how he wants us to live out the Christian life. St. Thomas says, with renewed minds, with your hearts being addressed by the living Lord Jesus, will you continue to put off the old and put on the new? to the glory of God. Let's live out our God-given unity so that the world may see that the diverse people living in this place are living their lives to the glory of God and the power of God is being displayed right here amongst us. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for addressing us in and through the Lord Jesus, through the living word. And Father, would you please continue to change our minds. Please give us the strength to put off the old self and to put on the new and to live out the God-given unity that you have called us to. Father, help us to use our speech to build up one another into Christ. And Father, may anger be driven from us. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.